Hi, I'm Susan Swain, host of C-SPAN's Q&A, where we spend an hour with nonfiction writers and historians who add context to today's news. On this episode, filmmakers Beth Levison and Jerry Reshus discuss their documentary, Storm Lake. It's about the Storm Lake Times, a small-town family-run newspaper in Iowa, and its efforts to stay afloat amid shrinking ad revenues and the coronavirus pandemic. In 2017, the newspaper editor Art Cullen was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for editorial writing. Our conversation will begin in just a moment. We're losing money, and there ain't a thing you can do about it. Our ads fell off a cliff. It doesn't make a lot of sense to go borrow money when we could just walk away from it now. You can change the world through journalism. The reporter is the cornerstone and a functioning democracy. And without strong local journalism, the fabric of the place becomes frayed. The prospect of the newspaper not being around terrifies me. So if we do the right things, we will be all right. So let's get that story. Beth Levison, that is a bit of the trailer from your new documentary titled Storm Lake. What's the story you're telling? Well, Storm Lake is about Art Cullen. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, and it's about him and his family's efforts to protect their rural Iowan farming town uh, through their biweekly newspaper, the Storm Lake Times, at the very same time that that newspaper hangs on by a thread. So it's really about a family, it's about a newspaper, and it's about a community that are really all sort of precariously on the edge. Jerry Reeses, welcome to the conversation on Q&A. You were director and photography director for the Storm Lake documentary. As a filmmaker, what interested you in this particular story? Uh, thanks for having us first. And, uh, uh, you know, I grew up in a very small town, maybe an hour and a half away from Storm Lake. So I uh, left Iowa in the mid-80s, but still really um, uh, watched things and loved things all Iowa. So when I saw the announcement of the Pulitzers in uh, the spring of 2017, I saw uh, the headline read, uh, Small North Iowa Newspaper Wins Pulitzer Prize. And um, I immediately looked up Art, and I thought um, his story was amazing. I saw what he was doing, and then I um, called him up, and I went out to um, to uh, uh, film with him for an afternoon in that fall of 2017. And, and how, I just thought that what we were doing was amazing. How long did you work on the project altogether? Uh, from the fall of 2017 uh, into, well, into this year, so almost uh, three and a half years. But principal photography was mainly uh, from the spring of 2019 into election uh, of 2020. And Beth Levison, the uh, University of North Carolina uh, Communication School has been tracking the fate of small newspapers around the country. And a graph that they have suggests that there's been a net loss of nearly 2,200 newspapers in the country since 2004. In general, what are the challenges that they are facing? And is Storm Lake Times any different from what's been happening at newspapers across the country? Yeah, I mean, I guess I just want to say, you know, when Jerry and I first started making this film, we were not experts per se in the in the subject material, but we've really learned so much in the process. And one of the things that we have learned is that newspapers across the country are all facing um, ex an existential crisis. Uh, they're 
facing this crisis because ad dollars are drying up. People are more inclined to pay, place an online ad or a Facebook ad than an ad in their local newspaper. Um, Main Street is closing down across the country. And so all those sort of mom and pop shops that used to place ads in local newspapers are now gone. And maybe a Costco or a Walmart is less inclined to place an ad in a, uh, in a local newspaper. And people think that, think that they can get their news for free um, on Facebook or through their Twitter feed and people are not subscribing. So what was, what, what made the film such a rich opportunity is that the Storm Lake Times, when we were filming and now, you know, really was and is uh, facing real financial hardship and issues, but the newspaper is not alone. These are struggles that newspapers are facing all across the country. And just a few days ago, uh, Penny Muse Abernathy, so Penny Muse Abernathy uh, helmed that division at the Husband School of Journalism at the University of North Carolina. She uh, spearheaded a lot of those reports about the rise of news deserts, and she's anticipating that as many as another uh, 500 newspapers could close, I believe, in the next year. So I saw her posting about that earlier this week. So the crisis really does remain. Sure, and exacerbated, I'm sure, by the pandemic over the past year and a half. What exactly- Really exacerbated. What is the definition of a news desert? So a news desert is a community that has, uh, that basically doesn't have a local news source. Um, so it's, it's, it's dry of news, there, there's no news. And Jerry, Rishis, after working on this project, why did you come to believe that that mattered in the digital age? Well, it's, it's, it's a way for people to stay engaged in their communities. I think the newspaper, really, the health of a newspaper is, is, uh, is equal to the health of a community. So if you don't have a strong newspaper, you don't have a strong community. Well, let me turn to you again because you're uh, somewhat local to the area. Tell me specifically about the community that Storm Lake Times serves. Where is it in Iowa? How large is it? Give me some of the atmospherics. Yeah, of course. So Storm Lake is a town of maybe 15,000 people or so. It's hard to tell because it's uh, it's also heavily populated with an immigrant community. And the immigrant community has come in because of uh, it's a meatpacking plant as well. So Tyson exists there. They have uh, maybe 25 to 3,000 employees that work there that are primarily immigrants. Um, uh, it's rural. It's, uh, again, up in northwest Iowa. So uh, politically, it's in the fourth district of, uh, of, uh, of Iowa. Um, and it also has, I mean, it has a lake. So there's a, there's a, there's a community that, uh, that thrives, I guess, with the lake. But... Uh, but mostly, you know, it's very rural, lots of farming, lots of agricultural business, and um, and then the meatpacking plant. And Beth Levison, about the Storm Lake Times in particular, how many days a week does it publish? And what is its circulation like now, and how has it been trending? So the Storm Lake Times uh, uh, publishes uh, its paper version uh, biweekly, two times a week. Um, they've been doing a great job. They publish a daily newsletter, which is a daily news digest. So that does come out every day. Uh, at the time that we were filming, the newspaper had a circulation of 3,000. Um, 
thanks to the film, I think the numbers are rising and think, and also some of the exposure that, that Art and his team have garnered on their own. But uh, at the time of filming, it had um, yeah a circulation of 3,000. And they also launched a website, uh, a remodeled website following the film. And um, I think they're seeing a lot of page views on that. I think you know that number, Jerry. Do you know the website number? I believe it's around 30... Well, it's a, a, above 500 in terms of its digital, 3,000 physical copies. So, you know, in the 3,500 range, maybe. Yeah. And advertisers. The two of them. Yeah, advertisers supported, I would guess, on the website as well. So that's another venue for them to attract advertisers. Uh, as you said at the outset, uh, Jerry, the newspaper is really the centerpiece of art, Colin, but many family members are involved so let's turn to a clip from your film where he introduces the other family members and what their roles are you're comfortable saying uh if it's going to trial or not oh we're going to trial okay son tom cullen a reporter lives the job Come here. my wife dolores cullen is everywhere with peach the news hound and the times mobile this is ice out day the day when all the ice melts my sister-in-law, Mary Cullen, is hunting recipe features. Isn't that pretty? What are the health benefits of cooking low salt? A pretty good rule is that an Iowa town will be about as strong as its newspaper and its banks. And without strong local journalism to tell a community story, the fabric of the place becomes frayed. The news pages are the part of the newspaper, and the editorial page is the soul. My brother, fearless leader John Cullen, founded the newspaper in 1990 with the belief that honest reporting would attract a crowd. So Beth Levison, R. Cullen is clearly the rock at the center of the newspaper. I guess a question with the economic challenges, why does he persist? What motivates him personally? Clearly, it's not a financial reward for the family. As Art says himself, rage. But uh, I think he, a couple of things, actually. Rage. I think he feels like he has a lot to say. I think he and the family are deeply, deeply uh, committed to the community. And they uh, care uh, deeply that it sustains itself, that it's a healthy place, that it is a welcoming place to immigrants, that it's a vital place. So I think it's, uh, and, and I think he believes deeply in the role of journalism in a community. And I think he feels like it's not perhaps just his responsibility, but that it's his calling. So how many roles does he take? How many roles does he take on at the paper? Well, what's kind of amazing about this newspaper is everybody does a little bit of everything. So art, uh, he, he writes the editorials. So uh, two editorials a week, and he has a column as well that he writes. Sometimes he'll take photographs. He delivers the newspapers to the local Casey's, to the local grocery store, to the gas station, wherever they sell papers. Um, and, you know, and he works with his brother, John, to make sure that the paper stays solvent while also overseeing his staff of, uh, there are a total of 10, including Peach the News Hound. So, yeah, he wears a lot of and hats. The, and he lays out the graphics. Just to throw in. And he lays out the graphic. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it's yeah. a seven-day-a-week lifestyle. It is. It is. Uh, yeah. It's a lot of work. So I think that's what was so amazing, to be honest, making this film, was actually 
to see how industrious and how busy a local newsroom could be. I think we have this sense that maybe they're just these sleepy operations. Um, and I think it was a surprise to Jerry and me both just how industrious and how much work there is for a local newspaper to do when they are really reporting on all the things happening in their community. Jerry Reeses, you mentioned that it was the the reporting of Art Cullen's Pulitzer Prize in 2017 that really first got your attention to this story. We found uh, the clip of Lee Bollinger, president of Columbia, presenting the the Pulitzer to Art Cullen. Let's listen to what the Pulitzer Prize judges had to say about his work. The Pulitzer Prize for editorial writing. For distinguished editorial writing, the test of excellence being clearness of style, moral purpose, sound reasoning, and power to influence public opinion in what the writer conceives to be the right direction using any available journalistic tool, the prize goes to Art Cullen of the Storm Lake Times, Storm Lake, Iowa, for editorials fueled by tenacious reporting, impressive expertise, and engaging writing that successfully challenged powerful corporate agricultural interests in Iowa. Congratulations, Art Cullen. Jerry Reeses, how does he use his editorial page? He, you know, as as they say in the uh, in the uh, the delivery of the of the prize, you know, he's he's very tenacious. I think that he, um, as we were talking earlier, he, you know, doesn't believe that it's a seven day a week job. It's his life. So like, it doesn't matter what time of day it is. If if anything is happening, he's going to be there, and his family and this newspaper are going to cover it. You know, he's also a very engaged writer, and I think that he speaks in a very unique voice that's very Northwest Iowan. So when you read it, you feel engaged and that you're actually there in the community with him. So he, 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 speaks, he speaks to his community. He's a part of his community. And he's, you know, it's, it's really his, his life, I think, his life mission to, to honor that. Being familiar with the politics of Northwest Iowa, does his editorial point of view match that of the greater community, or is he often uh, a voice of uh, challenging and change? Uh, the latter, definitely. He uh, he is as he as he describes in Storm Lake. Storm Lake is a blue town in a purple county in a red district or a red state. I think Iowa is going redder and redder um, uh, over the last decade or so. So I think he uh, challenges uh, a big business. He challenges his community to, to do better and to be engaged. So at many times, because people that are, uh, work uh, for large agribusiness find that he is uh, perhaps uh, less than, you know, uh, a favorable or, or, you know, for, for what their livelihoods might be. So sometimes, you know, he's, he's very much at odds with the community. There are several themes that run throughout your film in addition to the economics of the newspaper, and I wanted to spend a little bit of time exploring them after you both spent so much time with the newspaper and in that region of the country. First, with the rural economy in general. We heard Ali Bollinger mention that the paper has taken on the uh, big business of agribusiness, corporate agribusiness. So what what did you learn about the the impact of agribusiness in uh, the rural communities like Storm Lake? Beth? 
Well, I, I can say a little bit. You okay. know, I grew up in a, in a, on a farm in, uh, in, a, in an area very close to Storm Lake. And my father, for example, raised a family of four kids on an, an acreage of 160 acres, which is essentially a quarter section or a quarter mile. And um, that has changed. I mean, we are now, you know, living in a, a, an agricultural state where uh, everything has become vertically integrated since the 90s. And so, you know, farmers do not own their animals anymore. They basically are leasing out space to large agribusiness, in this case, in, in Storm Lake and uh, uh, Tyson's. Uh, there are other other uh, uh, smaller plants as well around, but they're definitely you know pockmarked all over the state. So it really has become a different uh, business. And as as maturing capitalism grows, uh, you just see mergers and mergers. And so you, as Art says, you either get big or get out. So I think that's been a challenge to try to keep the local communities. Uh, populated because people are leaving, myself included. You know, I left in 1984 and and still continue to watch what happens in Iowa. But I'm part of the diaspora who's actually left. So um, it's a totally different landscape, and people are trying to understand how to move forward and to keep their families and communities alive and still make a a, a living. Beth Levison, what your your thoughts on what you observed? Well, if I can just add to that, I mean, I thought. Jerry, you just nailed it. And, and uh, you know, but with those economic and agribusiness and changes in agribusiness, there's also really been demographic changes as a result. So Jerry sort of spoke to part of it, which is that so many have left, but who's come in? Immigrants, you know, and a lot of folks, primarily a lot of folks from Mexico, from Latin America, um, but not just from there and from Micronesia. I mean, that's what makes um, Storm Lake so interesting. I mean, you know, so people have come from all over the world to work in Iowa. So, and in these meatpacking plants. And so it's, you know, I think, uh, I just want to say how sort of interwoven it all is, how, um, the economic changes, what we saw, how they brought demographic changes and how the demographic changes, uh, result in political discord, uh, and climate issues. And I think that that was something for us that was really fascinating to explore in the film, that interconnectedness, that these aren't standalone issues, but how, how deeply interwoven they are. Our next clip from your film is actually on climate change, and we're going to meet a farmer by the name of Big John. Let's watch. We're going to suburban Sulphur Springs, Iowa, Providence Township, the home of John Snyder, Big John. Plumber and farmer, I'm mainly interested in. When did he plant corn? How did he cope with the spring weather, which was torrents of rain? Wow, this would be a picture like we've never seen, John. I mean, it's just barely knee high now. one day on May 4th. For corn. We're planting, yeah. And then we got rained out till the 15th and 16th of May. We had two days. We yeah. didn't get back in until June 2nd. Have you ever seen it this wet in the spring before? No, never. Yeah. 
not in my lifetime. You know, usually you get out end of April. Right. And we're usually done by May 10th. What do you figure you'd get knocked off in your yield? What did you get last year on corn? Oh, probably 225, probably. What would you guess you'll get this year? Take a wild ass guess. 150. I don't know. If you say 150, then everything after that's better. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's gravy. It's gravy on top of your taters. Gravy on top of your taters. Uh, Jerry Gracious, let me ask you, since you're familiar with the topography, you stood in that field, I presume, alongside Art as he was taking pictures, taking your own film. Uh, what is your reaction to what you visibly saw about the crops and the impact of climate change on them? Very, I mean, a bit of a mixed bag, I have to say. So very, very uh, short crops, and, and you kind of gauge a lot of what your yields might be. Uh, based on where you think you're going to be kind of mid-season, and that's usually the 4th of July is how you break that up. But but then when we heard a lot of the stories, the you know, and Art had done this story over the years, but mostly as a family story of like how tall uh, Big John's son was as he grew up through the years. And most of the time, the, the when I grew up, say, in the 70s and 80s in Iowa, the, 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 the standard was knee-high by the 4th of July. And now it's actually, if it's not shoulder high or almost like, you know, um, six foot height, you know, you're actually underperforming, uh, uh, your yields would be. But then they, but now, um, so, so, you know, watching what happened, you know, the spring of 2019, seeing all the issues that uh, farmers were having, just getting their, their crops planted was a big deal. And that was something that Art was reporting on. Now, there was a bit of a recovery for the farmers, thank goodness, through the fall. So they had different uh, uh, different yields in different seasons. So there was there was a bit of a mixed blessing. People in different parts of the state, you know, it's very sort of micro pocketed depending on where your your weather uh, uh, where your weather falls. So some people, some farmers did all right, and some didn't do so well. Mm. Beth, any other thoughts on the? economic impact of climate change? Um, I think Jerry kind of uh, covered it. I guess what I just want to add is that I'm not sure folks can really imagine it is the, is the other piece. Um, these cornfields and the monoculture of cornfields and soybean fields truly stretch as far as the eye can see. And we, Jerry and I drove a lot around Iowa, and you just see cornfield after cornfield after cornfield, and that is resulting, uh, and, and Jerry could also probably speak to this a little bit better because he's done a film about uh, soil, but, you know, what that means for the soil, what that means for uh, the um, ecology uh, what, how that contributes to climate change. There's just so many uh, levels to all this. And there's a way in which it seems very romantic at first when you see all this industrialized corn and soybean. Um, but at a certain point, you also, it, perhaps it starts to seep in, like what that really means, that, that monoculture. It, it's, uh, well, I wonder if it also speaks to the, the local journalism angle again and how really knowing the area and knowing 
the, uh, the, the crops and the impact of the crops and the local economy makes you report on them differently than someone might from uh, a distant, distant place just looking at numbers. For sure. Yeah, very true. Also, yeah. Go, you go, Jerry. No, I was just going to say very true. You know, t- you know um, Art grew up with uh, Big John. They were friends. It was, you know, Art grew up in town. And John was a farmer and he used to have, you know, kids sleepovers and play dates out at John's farm. So the, these the, these two that we see in their 60s, you know, grew up as teenagers in Storm Lake together. So it's very it's very um, I mean, it, it's not 50, you know, 50, 60 years they've spent together as 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 friends. And they and so having that and, and knowing so well your community, I think, speaks to what you know, art and local journalism does. It really, it really was like a, 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 a very tightly integrated newspaper into the community there. Mm. So, uh, Beth Levison, you spoke about the interplay of the various issues, and immigration was the next one on my list. Uh, we have a clip of a town hall meeting that uh, Iowa Republican Senator Chuck Grassley had with local residents, mm. covered by. Tom Cullen, the um, art son, and we're going to watch that next. It's just about a minute long. As we know about Storm Lake, it's heavily reliant on immigration. Uh, what's your sense on that? Um, well, what's, what do you tell people in Storm Lake who are afraid? I don't think you have to be afraid unless you're violating the law. But as a practical matter, uh, wasn't there a figure out a couple weeks ago that there could be 100,000 people deported? Mm-hmm. We'll think. 100,000 out of 11 million people? Yeah. So why would you have to be very concerned? Uh, I mean, if say if you're undocumented here in town, and let's just be real, there are undocumented people here in town. I would be very afraid if Trump admits through tweet that yeah. we're going to deport tens of millions of people. Well. Uh, and I understand yeah. the news media debunked we, we, a little we, bit of that. I, we, I, I get your point. We got people in Congress that think yeah. you line up 11 million people and get out of the country. That's yeah. not the real world. And I'm yeah. not telling anybody that. Yeah, okay. You've never heard me say that. No. The only thing you've heard me say about legalization is we can't take care of that issue until we convince the people that we secure the border. And listen, you know how many people on the right would be irritated with what I just told you that I'd even be thinking about that? Yeah. Beth Levison, as the director of this film, how did you cover the issue of immigration as it's seen through the eyes of Storm Lake? I think we really chose, we made a a decision with this film that we wanted to reveal the community and the newspaper in as intimate a way as possible. So we really didn't resort to statistics and big numbers. Uh, we really, we really wanted to tell human stories. So the way that we chose the story to t- tell the story of immigration in this community is, you know, we we told the story of Emmanuel Trujillo, who is a uh, a Mexican immigrant who works in a local Tyson food plant and becomes a singing star on a reality show. And, um, you know, we just covered uh, Dolores as she gets a tip about his story and then goes to meet him at his home where she learns about him and uh, and viewers learn about him. And we put a face uh, uh, to Emmanuel Trujillo. And we also did that through um, 
it, it's really interesting actually today uh, art published an editorial about uh, another young man who had grown up in storm lake but he was and and his family worked in the plant and how they were deported and what that meant for a community so we sort of chose to chose to tell this story through these um through through stories that the paper was telling them itself or that the collins were um and then we also just tried to bring it in in other ways so what's incredible about storm lake i mean this was an unforgettable like it almost made me cry in the moment was they have a fourth of july parade and as a part of that parade they have the parade of nations where people from all over the world you know there's the the Honduran float, and there's the Mexican float, there's the Micronesian float, there's the Laotian float. I mean, and just you see uh, ethnic group after ethnic group kind of going through the parade. So, you know, we show that that population that way. And then, you know, certainly uh, later in the film, when we cover the Iowa caucuses, um, there in one of the caucus locations, it was 93 five percent latinx people and so that was a real opportunity to to show you know who calls this community home uh, jerry reese I, I i thought of you in, in preparation for this about that fourth of july parade as director of photography and the images uh, what did those particular images how did they speak to you and why you wanted to include them in the final cut of the film Oh, you know, when we got there, just as Beth said, it was it was so jaw dropping, you know, to be in rural North Iowa. I mean, you know, as the beginning of what Art describes as his childhood, you know, he grew up in a town that was, you know, ninety nine point nine percent white. So in, within one generation to see such a transition into such a wall, you know, a wide net of, of ethnic groups that come into you know your town was 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 inspiring and welcoming. I mean, I know that there are people mm. that, you know, may not be so thrilled as 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 the Cullens or as some people are in in the community, but by and large, I think, you know, Storm Lake is a, a success story. They need immigrants. They have uh, 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 you know, businesses that need labor and and the immigrants supply that. So, I mean, it really is a situation where you know uh, there's a need, uh, the newspaper welcomes them. The newspaper writes stories about them. They're your neighbors. Also, I think Art at one point says, you know, it's hard to hate people that are your neighbors. So if these people are your neighbors and you're interacting with them, and we were at the Collins several times when neighborhood kids would just like walk in the front door, they just felt free to come in and out. Um, so you know, it's 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 quite awe-inspiring to me, actually. And then on the 4th of July, to be able to film that, it was uh, it was very nice. I actually really loved it. Yeah. Beth Levison, returning to the economics of the newspaper, one would imagine that a large percentage of the migrant population are not English speakers. So uh, the Storm Lake Times is an English-language publication. How does that add to their economic concerns? I think it has an impact. I think that they have a growing immigrant population that doesn't exactly, as you say, doesn't necessarily read English and they have an English language newspaper. You know, something that was really uh, satisfying for us was that we could include the story of La Prensa in the film. So um, 
in Northwest Iowa, there is a Spanish language newspaper called La Prensa. It's uh, published uh, by a woman named uh, Lorena Lopez. It's almost a one woman operation. It's heroic what she's doing. Um, but it was a real opportunity for us to show, you know, when we think about local news, I think some of us think monolithically. We think, okay, this is the community's newspaper. But what's really important to think about is that in all of our communities, we have, uh, we might have religious communities. We might have um, non-English speaking communities. So what, the, what we really wanted to do and what the story of La Prensa allowed us to do was to show the value of these other newspapers in a community, the value of a Spanish language newspaper um, and, you know, our hope is that with the film that we can elevate um, other kinds of community newspapers, whether it's Spanish language or historically black owned or, uh, you know, sort of you name it. But it's just so important. It was important for us to show that not not every not every newspaper necessarily speaks for its own, its own community and that some communities need their own newspaper uh, to speak for them and to reflect them. You referenced the Iowa caucus and, and you were there during the election year, including the, the caucus season. And in the film, we see uh, how this brings attention to Art Cullen. He's on national news as a commentator, moderates candidates' debates with uh, national candidates. Uh, we're going to watch caucus night which uh, the whole country will remember was uh, a very challenging night for Iowa and, and the presidential process. Let's see what it looked like in the Storm Lake Times newsroom. These pictures from precinct sites all over Iowa tonight where Joe Biden in some of them has not been viable. Why is that important? Because the Biden campaign has been saying for a long time that they believe they're one of the few campaigns that would be viable across the state. That yes, they may not be as strong in the more populated areas like Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, Davenport. Joe Biden. They do think they would uh, be able to run up the score in more rural areas. And I have to say, Brian, we've been covering just about every single Biden event there is over the last few months here in Iowa. Uh, A lot of the places we go, the best dining option is probably a Casey's general store. So these are rural areas, and so we should consider that tonight. All right, Mike Memoli at Biden headquarters, where they officially know nothing. From Iowa. And what are you hearing? We're all trying to figure out here in New York why we don't have any results and where the hang-up may be. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, oh, hell, the, every election is like this. I can tell you the Iowa Democratic Party now isn't saying anything. It's you not 10 o'clock yet. Yeah. I think AP's got a projection coming out. And, a, you know, a general election, you won't get the results until midnight. Yeah. It's not 10 o'clock yet. Yeah. Has it ever been in your experience? No, of course not. I like Sometimes you won't get the results till the next day. Yeah. Jeez. Well, I know it's going to raise more questions for sure. Joe, that's... What a load of crap. Curious about there's the process questions. Is this the way we should, you know, nominate a president? Iowa Democratic Party has put a statement out. Thank you, my dear. Let's hear this. Uh, We've experienced a delay in the results due to the fact that the Iowa Democratic Party is reporting out three data sets for the first time. Yeah, true true enough. But regardless, we've only got the explanation. We still don't have any digits. Everybody's saying it's going to kill the Iowa caucuses. Yeah. This delay. It shouldn't, but it. But it will. Jerry Reaches, of course, it wasn't business as usual this time around. And two caucuses in a row with reporting 
data problems. Uh, what does the caucus really mean to Iowa and to rural communities like Storm Lake? Well, I think a lot. You know, Iowa has a really outsized role, I think, in national politics because they do come first. The one, the one positive, I think, that, that we get at the end of, of at least Art's opinion, uh, 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 having watched what they went through and certainly then the evening of the uh, reporting, is that it's a chance for neighbors who may not necessarily agree with each other to sit down at the same table and have a discussion about issues which I think is something that's really, you know, America is moving farther and farther away from. Like we don't sit and talk to people that we don't really agree with anymore. So, you know, and that we were very, very happy to, to, mm. to report on because, you know, Iowa uh, is a flyover state. And I think that, you know, uh, they appreciate the attention. Art, by virtue of winning the Pulitzer Prize, I think uh, got the attention of a lot of, uh, of candidates. So people would come to town to, to talk to him about what their issues were and to try to bring their message to Iowa. So I think Art and certainly Storm Lake and, the, and, and that particular area or the district that they're in appreciated the attention because I think that's, that's one thing that they think that will, um, that will allow them to, you know, to, to tell their stories and to be seen on a, a larger scale. And I think that's important for them. Beth Levison, have you ever experienced an Iowa caucus before? What was it like no. for you? Uh, it was so moving, to be honest. And, and you know, there were scenes that we shot that we were not able to include in the film of really people disagreeing, but in such a, I don't know, collegial uh, way. And, you know, one person who was, you know, you know, uh, advocating for Elizabeth Warren, trying to get a, uh, an Amy Klobuchar person over. I mean, it, it was just uh, so to see that kind of exchange, which is really something that we're not seeing now. We're so polarized. And also, um, it, it's just such an, a, a process that, you know, that is sort of unique to Iowa and, and these states where there are caucuses. And so um, it was just incredible to have a front row seat. I think the newsroom, and I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, was also a whole other experience, which was just so interesting that night. Tell me why. So I think they're, well, because I don't know if you sort of caught it, but, you know, here, so that night, we knew that the caucuses were supposed to go until 10 o'clock. Jerry and I thought that we were going to be shooting until 10 o'clock. But by nine o'clock, you know, people go to bed early in Iowa or whatever, but the the caucuses, you know, were largely over until so the Collins had gone back to the newsroom. So it's 9.15 and we're in the newsroom and we're already hearing how cable news is saying that these, that the Iowa caucuses are a failure, are a disaster. As Art says, it's not 10 o'clock yet. And it made me realize that if I had been watching um cable news from my living room in New York City, I would have just assumed I was a mess. This process is a mess. And even though things did go wrong, there's something incredibly valuable happening uh, through this kind of exchange uh, happening between people who might not agree with one another. And um, 
it kind of showed the way in which the local news was just trying to cover what was really happening on the ground. And it kind of became, uh, I hate to say it, but sort of a, uh, a like, a, not a salacious, but, uh, you know, a moment that cable news could really jump on and, um, and inflate. And, uh, and, and so to see that contrast uh, really made me think about that value of local news and what happens when we're only getting news from sources that have a hardcore economic bottom line and are fighting for eyeballs and are willing to kind of proclaim crisis before it necessarily is a crisis? Jerry, Reese, you were nodding your head during that. Do you have something to add? Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, yes, I guess the, uh, the sh- you know, the short answer is that, you know, we we uh, we were there you know watching the 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 Colin team and the Colin family cover all this and it was truly amazing we were in the you know we're watching people discuss the issues discuss the 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 the, the candidates and then to go back and and then hear them and watch their reactions as well i mean they'll, they they yeah. felt okay we're a flyover state but like what we say is important but then they're watching, you know, the Tom and Dolores and, and Art are watching this news reporting on Iowa. So they're taking it also very personally, right? Because this is, you know, this is what they do. And then to, to have their their work basically just be kind of marginalized by, you know, some forms that the Iowa Democratic Party had sort of put out really puts them in a position of of, of trying to respond or trying to defend what their, you know, what their role is in politics is, you know, so it was, it was an interesting front row seat. And I agree totally with the, with uh, Beth as well as it, you know, it was, it, there was a lot of drama that was being, you know, kind of churned by some of the, uh, the, 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 the more politically slanted uh, newspaper, I mean, uh, um, uh, 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 television programs. So a couple of weeks really after the Iowa caucus, we began to learn about the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, that's the last big issue I wanted to put on the table that plays out in your film. Uh, Let's watch a minute long clip of the Storm Lake Times, excuse me, Storm Lake Times coverage of the COVID-19 outbreak at the Tyson's plant. And this was an issue all across the Midwest in meatpacking plants as uh, the workers were vulnerable and still trying to feed the nation at the same time. Let's watch. We were the first ones to actually come to press and say a number of Tyson employees tested positive. And then there was this dramatic spike of cases in Storm Lake. It was just like unbelievable. We're continuing to report on the numbers as best we can, but we never really know the exact count on a given day. And that's really incumbent upon the State Department of Public Health and the governor's office, of course, you know, to enlighten us on that. But, you know, they haven't responded to a single email of mine. Now, Storm Lake is the hottest spot in Iowa, one of the top 10 in the country. They decided late last week to shut down the Tyson Pork Complex for a few days at least for cleaning after these test results showed that over 20% of the Tyson Pork Plant roster had COVID. Obviously, this aspect of the story impacted 
the community. It impacted the newspaper's ability to do the biz their business, and both of you in being able to to continue your filming. So, walk me through those those first couple of months of the pandemic and what what happened. Yeah, um, I mean, when of course the entire world just flipped on its end. I think during the beginning uh, days and the beginning weeks of uh, of COVID and the pandemic, but. Um, you know, we also, you know, we both spoke daily, uh, regularly because we were all isolating in our homes and trying to figure out that this is a real, not, I mean, opportunity for us, but also very important for the newspaper in its coverage because it really was going to be saving lives. I mean, the newspaper was going to be reporting on what is happening. And I think then what we see through Tom's reporting is that they were not getting a, a, a transparent information they were not and and certainly it was very difficult for for any state and for any place to to try to understand what was happening but we we then were able to continue filming i'm i'm a cinematographer so i have equipment in my basement so so we continued to do a a a series almost weekly or bi-weekly a series of interviews with all of the cullens throughout uh i'd say from you know march into uh, june and we followed what was happening and we had those intermixed with the actual newspaper reporting itself. So we then uh, got all the newspapers, filmed their headlines and their stories, uh, and then took advantage of having uh, Dolores Cullen, who is a great photographer there, uh, uh, actually photograph uh, some of the empty streets and to show actually what was happening in Storm Lake. So we weren't able to go back to Storm Lake, but through the mixture of those uh, uh, those different storylines, we were able to tell the story of what they were doing and how important it was. Beth Levison, what was your experience in this part of the production? Um, well, this was, you know, there were moments where we thought, you know, is this a crisis for our film because we can't go back out there? But we really realized that it was an opportunity for the newspaper to really tell its own story. So if this is a film about the role of a newspaper in a community, okay, this is its, you know, kind of key moment. So what we so we did conduct these interviews and we did have Dolores film a little bit at home, but we also used this as an opportunity to really drill into the newspaper. And so it was a huge writing exercise because we had the interviews, but we really wanted to tell the story through through the headlines, through the pictures, through the copy. And so, um, you know, so it was a it was just, you know, we had to sort of change our approach to the filmmaking in this moment. But it was also an opportunity to actually go deeper into all the themes that we had been developing from the outset. So, you know, once we knew that the, the film was, was going to COVID, you know, it also really informed everything that came prior to that. Um, and I guess I just want to add that, you know, something we really wanted to do in the making of this film was to bring the newspaper to life in sort of a vital way, in, in, in 3D, if, if you will. And, you know, we've all seen so many films where we, you know, scan the headlines and, um, and they're 2D. But um, this is like a living, breathing thing that reflects a, a living, breathing um, community. And so, you know, it was just a moment where we wanted to bring it even more to life um, and, um, 
and really show its vitality and its necessity. And, you know, if you see the movie on a big screen, you'll see the threads in the paper and the, the, the smudging of the ink. And, and so, uh, you know, so there were, there were, we, we really wanted to, um, kind of crystallize a lot of the aspects of the film in, in that moment. We have a little less than 15 minutes left in our hour with you. Uh, and Terry, which is to, to that end and the images, I mean, a very striking image for me in the film is watching print newspapers come off the presses. And uh, it, 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 and also watching Art drive in his car around to small stores and deliver stacks of papers and then come pick up unsold papers uh, the, you know, the day, a day or so later. And, and one has to scratch your head in the digital age and worry about uh, the environment and consumption of energy and all of this, how small newspapers really do overcome those challenges. Well, I think they're... they're they're trying to figure that out. You know, I have to say, you know, you, you just made me think of a, of a great production story, which is that, you know, really early on, I think the first day that I went out to film with Art, that first afternoon, I went out with him um, to deliver newspapers. I did a couple, I did a little bit of, of, of character builder, character building real uh, footage, I guess, that I was trying to construct. And then he went out to deliver newspapers. And we got to the third or fourth place along the way, and he was going to go into a cafe, and he says, like, yeah, you don't, you know, don't bother coming in because there really won't be anything happening. And certainly there was nobody inside. So he walked in, and I said, let me, let me follow you in. I walked in, I walked in with him, and he had 10 newspapers to deliver. He, he plopped his 10 down, and he looked down, he pulled out the styrofoam cup, which is an honorarium system that people that will pick up a newspaper will, will hopefully drop a dollar bill in. And he pulled uh, out seven single dollar bills. And then I realized, you know, to your question earlier, what does what else does Art do? It sounds like he does everything. He delivers the papers. And and at this point, he's taking single dollar bills out of a, a, a styrofoam cup to try to make his monthlies. You know, and I realized this is like a real a, a real economic crisis. You know, I mean, getting back to your question about like what what do we you know, how does this business model move forward? you know, it has to figure out its way forward because it really is a dying business. I look at, I have a 24 year old daughter, like she doesn't read the newspaper. You know, I'm not sure if the, if, if the next generation is actually going to be as new savvy. And so, you know, I think it's a responsibility for hopefully for us and for, you know, uh, journalists to try to engage that, uh, that generation and try to make sure that, that they stay informed. And I think that's going to be a, a, a difficult uh, part of moving forward. So, Beth Levison, in the time we have left, I want to move to uh, your hopes for this this film and what it will do to spur mm -hmm. conversation in local communities. You've got a website for the film, and there's a, a section of it that's an action plan. Uh, one of those is to sponsor a showing in your own local community. There's quite a list of them. You've participated in some of those personally. What what happens when people watch the film? What kind of dialogue goes on? Well, what's you know, so our hope with the film, we wanted to tell a story about the Cullens, the Storm Lake Times, Storm Lake, Iowa, but we really wanted to tell a story that would resonate more broadly. And so with our impact campaign, we're really hoping that the film encourages people to rethink their relationship to local news. Do they subscribe to their local news? Are they local business owners? Do they place ads in the newspaper? Are they civically engaged? Um, and, um, 
And so what's been really amazing is when we have these community screenings, there have been times, I mean, I'll, I'll just share, uh, we recently screened the film, uh, it, it was a festival screening, but at the Hamptons International Film Festival, and we had a Q&A, and uh, David Rattray, the editor of the East Hampton Star, uh, moderated and was asking me questions. And what was incredible was when at a certain point we stopped talking about the movie and the audience started asking David Rattray questions. Do you, are, the, are the struggles that the, the Collins are having, do those resonate with you? Are you seeing a slip in advertising? Um, you know, and then to see the community start to understand their own newspaper and to give the newspaper an opportunity to have a conversation with their community, whether people in the audience or subscribers or not, has just been really incredible. So, you know, we're having screenings that are that involve the local newspaper as much as possible, but we're also screening the film with organizations who are really committed to sustaining the future of local news, uh, 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 creating new opportunities for local philanthropy. Um, and so it's just been really incredible to see how the film gets people to even see their local newspaper. You know, one thing that's unique about Art, he has an incredible voice. He's a brilliant, great writer. But what he also does is, is he shares the story uh, of their struggle with the community. And so many newspapers don't do that. They may tell the stories as best they can of their community, but they don't tell the stories of their own struggle. So people just have no idea. So for us to surface this reality and to uh, bring about not just conversation, but action um, so that people might step forward and take a vested interest in this pillar of their community, you know, we're, we're seeing that and it's just really uh, exciting. And, you know, uh, we had an impact campaign that we were sort of going to maybe start to slow down at the end of this year, but there's a lot of work to do, and, and we're going to keep going deep into 2022. So we have about five minutes left. Jerry Reishis, uh, I'm wondering about uh, whether or not you feel that this has become a, a cause more than a filmmaking project for you. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. You know, we started out, you know, literally, you know, I, I saw the headlines of the of that Pulitzer Prize announcement and I thought this would make a great film. And then as we went out to Storm Lake, you know, Beth and I realized that, you know, art is an amazing character and but it's really an ensemble piece. And so we, you know, the story just kept on growing and then all the issues that we wanted to 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 help tell, uh, we were trying to figure out where they would all lie. You know where you know if they would find their their lanes or their channels or how they would actually line up. But it actually all of these stories became baked in to the actual reporting that the Storm Lake Times were doing. So, you know, in a certain way, you know, we had no idea what we were getting into. Uh, when we started and all these issues that are important to us, like we were very happy to tell. And then slowly we also started learning that the issues of of journalism are so real because I think what Beth said before is that, you know, the many newspapers around the country don't know how to tell their own story. They tell stories about the communities, but, but Art, in fact, uh, was, uh, his storytelling about their struggles actually allowed us to, to, to get into that. So I think, you know, it has become a cause it's a cause that I think that both Beth and I are are, are, are behind and really want to push. <laughs> and I think the more people that we talk to as we go to do these screenings and we go to different festivals, we realize that there is a real impact. There there, there are communities that, you know, are, are completely unaware of what's happening to their newspapers. So 
you know, it's been it's been I think for that uh, a success, and we just hope to keep on pushing it into you know, into the new year and beyond. If we've intrigued people, Beth Levison, there'll also be an opportunity nationally to see your film on PBS. Can you explain when? Yeah, so the film is going to be on national PBS stations as part of the Independent Lens series on Monday, November 15th at 10 o'clock, but check your local listings. And and how does, uh, I mean, this is not an inexpensive venture to spend all this time making the film in the first place post-production, and now all of these screenings and community sessions around the country. How does a project like this get financed? Uh, Well, I spent three hours this morning writing a fundraising email this morning. So we are constantly fundraising, and we we have, you know, the film was made possible in in, in part through ITVS, which is the Independent Television Video Service, but... Uh, we also had a num- We were supported by the Ford Foundation and Film Funds, Catapult Film Fund, and individuals. And so now, at this stage, once again, we are really seriously fundraising. And it's interesting because you know I've been producing films for many years, and there's a you know there's a, a, a circle of, of film funders. Uh, you know, we're having to go the next concentric circle out to really, you know, who are those individuals and organizations that are really invested in the future of local news. And I guess I just want to piggyback on one thing that Jerry said. The reason this has become a cause, and I think this is something we came to understand in a way that we really did not before we started filming and that we hope that people see in the movie, is that it's not just about news. It's not just about what's going on in your community. It's the way in which local news is so critical to a functioning democracy and an informed electorate. You know, we just had these elections. I was on my Twitter feed and I I caught this one post by someone saying, I really didn't know what, um, you know, the, you know, how to vote because I just wasn't aware that these things were coming up. So I just circled yes. You know, I mean, the local news is, is, is telling us what's coming up in our communities you know, what decisions have to be made around zoning or vis-a-vis schools or local laws. And, um, and so, but, so this idea, you know, we think about it as news, but it's not just news. It is a pillar of our democracy. And I think that once Jerry and I really started to understand that deeply, we were like, this is really important. And that may have been when it tilted over from a film to more of a cause. Well, that's it for our time. Jerry Reaches, Beth Levison, thank you for spending an hour with C-SPAN to talk about your film, your documentary, Storm Lake. We're going to close, not giving away all of it, but just a little glimpse of the same way that you closed the film. And that is Art Cullen in an editorial he wrote to his son about the importance of journalism. Dear Tom, when James Madison wrote the First Amendment to the Constitution, he had you in mind. The reporter is the cornerstone of an informed electorate and a functioning democracy. So is it one per house then? Yeah. One, one of each per house. Yeah. The best journalism is that which builds communities. You build your community by publicizing good deeds done. Hey guys. By urging yourself and those around you to do better. What? How are you? Doing good? and by making certain that your town's issues are heard in Des Moines and Washington. Tyranny prevails whenever the press is not free. Stand guard. Thanks for listening to C-SPAN's Q&A. And subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. 
And while you're there, please take a minute to rate and review us. You can also send us an email about Q&A at podcasts at c-span.org. Send me your questions, your comments, or ideas. Your feedback is welcome. 